you glad you came to church today? Come on, are you glad you're in the house of God? I know it's just us four and no more, but you know, we can still have church here today. I don't know where everybody's at. They probably are enjoying the sun today, but anyway, we're here, you're here, I'm here, and we're going to have fun. I hope that you guys will take advantage of this coming Friday and do come out to the Fall Fam Fest. And uh, you can, I think the address is in the bulletin, and you can, uh, you know, punch that into Google Maps. It'll take you right there, because I tried, and it worked. And uh, so, anyway, we encourage you to come out. It's going to be a lot of fun, and you think, well, you know, I don't know, I'm not really acquainted with everybody in the church. Well, that's part of the reason why we're doing it, and uh, just kind of get to know each other, have fun as the family of God, our families with the family of God coming together. Anyway, it's going to be a great time. Um, my dad was here a little while back, and uh, when he was here, he preached, and some of you know my dad, probably most of you in the room don't know, I, I don't know if you were, were here on the day that he preached, but, but he wrote a book, he made reference to a book that he had written, and he initially wrote the book for us kids, he, uh, I have uh, four other siblings, and uh, then anyway, it was all put together, my older sister made it into a book, and uh, anyway, when he came to preach, he brought four of them and said that if, you know, people wanted to buy one, he, he would, you know, he had four available. Well, he got mobbed after the first service, and there were, no, there were no books left. So anyway, we ordered more books, and if you were here and wasn't able to get one of the books and you would like to have it, it's really cool stuff. It's, it's basically his testimony about the power of prayer and reaching family and friends, and how God worked in his life uh, after he came to know Jesus. And it's just uh, it's one testimony after another testimony of God's goodness, and so and how God answers prayer. And uh, so anyway, I have some books here. If you would like one, you can come and get it right after the service, $10 a piece, and uh, you can walk away with one. Or if you have $20, you can walk away with two. So either way... But anyway, that's for you. If you'd like to have it, you can do that right after the service. All right. Are we ready for the Word of God? Awesome. I've been in a series entitled Running with Horses. And the essential, I guess the message, the, the bottom line message is what, for us, I feel like is what the Lord gave to Jeremiah when he said, if you get weary running with footmen, how are you ever going to run with the horses? Like the Lord was saying, Jeremiah, it's going to get a little bit worse, but you'll be able to run with the horses. So there was a problem, there was a promise. And I really feel like the Lord is saying to us in the times that we're living in, that we need to brace ourselves, that things may not go as we would want them to go or hope they would go, but that God's grace and God's power will meet us there. And he will give us the ability to not just keep pace with the horses, but overtake them. And so this is the message that, of the times that we're living in. And of course, what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is this idea of running with endurance. The Bible tells us that you must run with endurance the race that is set before you. And every one of us have a race that we are all called to run in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can't do that if we allow weariness to grip us and to, and to uh, control our lives. So we have to run with endurance. Last week we talked about running with prayer. 
Prayer is so essential to every one of our lives. It's what keeps us close to God and effective in life. If you want to be close to God and effective in life, we need to find that place of intimacy with Him in prayer. And so we talked about that last week. Today, I want to shift gears. I I didn't intend to do this. I wasn't thinking I was going to go in this direction. But I really felt like the Lord brought it to my attention. And um, I want to talk about this idea in all of this talk about running. I want to talk about this idea of when you're running on empty. When you're running on empty. And... um, you know, we, we, wanna, we wanna run with endurance. We wanna run with prayer. We wanna run with the horses. But what if you would find yourself kind of empty on the inside? What do you do? How do you, how, you know, you say, keep up, keep praying, keep going, don't give up, don't turn away. But then you discover that maybe there's something missing on the inside. And so I wanna talk about this today, this idea of running on empty. And I wanna pick up where we left off. This is what I didn't intend. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to pick up today. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to open there because I'm going to refer to scriptures that won't come up on the screen. And, uh, but, I, but, but to begin with, let me do read uh, a portion of scripture that will come up on the screen. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 46 and I'm going to go through the first four verses of chapter 19. And uh, we read this last week, but let's look at it again. It says, Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Verse, or chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, what you did to the false prophets, you killed them, I'm going to do to you. That was a threat, an intimidation. And then it says in verse 3, and when Elijah saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So that's the word. And let's just pray right now that the Holy Spirit would have his way. Lord, thank you for meeting with us here today in our service. We thank you for your presence. I want to thank you for every person that's in this room. And I pray, God, that in these next few moments together, all of us would just sit under the sound and the truth of your word. Lord, I'm praying that your word would be a light and a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. I pray, God, that you would send out the light of your word into our heart, and especially into those dark places in our own lives, God, that where we don't understand, we don't know what's going on. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way here in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. 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 
Well, this last week, uh, I think it was last, I said Friday, Friday, but it was actually Thursday, I think. Thursday, we did some filming in here for the new Rooted class that's going to be coming up. And if you're a new believer and new to the church, you'll want to participate in that class. But we filmed the sessions of that. I had a session and a few other people had sessions. And we were filming in here, and I was sitting back there. And uh, Daniel and Rachel have three sons, and their youngest son, his name is Titus. And Titus came into the room, and he said, hey, Tim, come out to the foyer. I want to show you something. So I went out to the foyer, and Rachel had brought up their three sons because she was doing one of the teachings on prayer, and she did a really, really good job. And uh, so I went out to the foyer, and he had set up out there a Lego train set. And this Lego train set, I would, I, would, I would say it's four to five feet in circumference somewhat. And he had two different trains on that train track. And um, they were uh, battery powered or electric powered. And he turned it on and, and he was showing me how these trains were going around this track. One chasing the other, so to speak. And uh, then after a little bit, he turned up the lever. He gave it more, he put the pedal to the metal. And he turned it all the way up, and I asked him, is it going at full speed? And he told me it was. And they were going around and around and around and around. And then all of a sudden, nobody did anything. Nobody bumped the track or anything like that. All of a sudden, one of the train, one of the trains just went flying off of the track. It was just, it was going, and it was going, and it was going, and then it was gone. Has everybody, has anybody in this room ever felt like that's your life? You were moving, you were doing what you know you should be doing, doing what you think God wants you to do, being a parent, being a, being a servant, someone who serves in the church, and living your life, and trying to be a light, and just kind of going around, and around, and around, and around, going, and going, and going, and then blah gone. I think sometimes for us, we don't realize until it's too late that we've been running on empty. We've been doing and doing and doing all the while something on the inside of us begins to deplete and we're not paying attention to it because we're so busy with the things that we've got to get done the good things, maybe even the God things in our lives, and we're just doing them, and we're, doing, we're trying to be obedient, we're trying to be responsible, and we're going after it all the while on the inside. Something's emptying more and more and more in our soul, in our tank, so to speak. And this is exactly, just, this is exactly what happened to this great prophet Elijah. If you remember, if you were here last week, we talked about it. He had a great day in the Lord. I mean, he prayed down the fire of God on the mountaintop and proved that Yahweh was God and Baal was not God. I mean, that's a pretty successful event. And then after that, he goes up onto the mountain again and he prays down rain for the first time in three and a half years. They, had, they were in a drought, and because that man went into the place of prayer, and he persevered in prayer, and he, and he stayed in there, even when there was no sign that God was going to move, he prayed in an outpouring of God on the land. And then on top of that, for whatever reason, God gave him the power and grace to outrun Ahab's chariot back to Jezreel. So he was riding the crest of success. He was in the middle of revival. Things were happening. He was doing what God wanted him to do. He was making a, he had an effect. 
in his culture, in his society, one day, and then the next day he's praying to die. What happened? He was running on empty. He was going and going and going and going, and then he was gone. Emotionally, mentally, relationally, however you want to boil this down, he was just, he was doing and doing and doing, and then something happened where he literally, as it were, derailed himself. Some of us are probably in a situation like that, and the only way that we can explain it is it feels like a giant mood swing in our life. We were feeling one way, and now I feel another way. I feel like I'm on this mood swing. Something happened in me. And, what, and the other ways that we describe this are, I feel like I'm having a meltdown. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm breaking down. I feel, like, I feel like I'm burned out. This could happen to us. We're running on the track. We're running on the track. We're going round and round and round at top speed. Why? Because we can. But we didn't realize that all the while we were moving at top speed, going round and round and round. Something on the inside of us was getting depleted more and more and more. And our spiritual tank got emptied. We were running on empty. And we took ourselves completely out of the game. And you can be out of the game and still, like, and still look like you're in the game. Just like some basketball players or some football players. Mentally, they're not there. They're out there running around, but they're not in it. They're running on empty. And some of us do that in life. We run on empty. And so today, listen, I just want to tell us in all this talk about running with the horses... All of this talk that God's saying, I want you to run with the horses, the the harder it gets, the more of my power and grace is going to be available to you, and you're not only going to be able to keep up, but you're going to overcome. And all this talk, listen, we can't run with the horses if we're running on empty. So I want to talk about today is I I want to encourage us. I I hope this feels like an encouraging word because I believe it's a I believe it's a now word of God. I think God shifted my own thinking and once this word brought to us today because if you feel like you've been derailed there is a god way to get back on track and that's what i want to talk about but first let me just establish this if we're going to run if if we continue running on empty number one we're eventually going to run out of gas if you are running on fumes right now and if you don't take care of business in your soul and in your spirit, you're going to run out of gas. And what happens when you run out of gas? Come on. I see what happens when you run out of gas. You just stop. You don't move. You don't go anywhere. And that's what happens to us in our relationship. That's what happens to us emotionally. We can be going through the motions, but we're really, there's no momentum in our life. And we lose our traction, and we're just we're, we're derailed in, in, in a variety of ways. And so we got to keep an eye on our, our, our uh, gas tank, I guess, the gauge. What is that you look at? It's gauge, right? Fuel gauge. There you go. Praise God. That's an anointing. Fuel gauge. We need to keep an eye on our resources and our, on our reservoir. I don't know if you're like me. I hope you're not. But 
I don't look at my fuel gauge. I don't need to. I got a ding. Does anybody else have a, your car ding when it gets right around the E? Mine dings. I don't even pay attention to it. I don't look at it. It doesn't concern me. I go to work. I go home. I go to work. I go to Walmart. I go from Walmart to work to, you know, and this, this is my life, just kind of back and forth. I don't pay attention. It's not important to me until I hear the ding. But you know what I do? I tell you every time. After I hear the ding, I think to myself, I got a couple more days. <laughs> I know my life, right? See, this is what happens to us. This is what we do in the spirit. We push the limits. Even though we have an inner witness going off, there's a ding going off in there. Like me, I become a ding dong. And I wait till the very last. I don't deal with the issue at hand. I just keep putting it off. And this is what some of us are doing in our lives. And then when we slow to a halt, even though you got movement, doesn't mean you have momentum. And we come to a stop, and we just say, how did I get here? What the heck happened to my life? I thought I was making a difference. I thought I, was, I thought I was doing something that was important. But we allowed things to just drain out of our life. The true things, the important things, the God things. And we came to a stop. How do you know? How do you know when you ran out of gas? When I was looking at this story and just going over the things again, the, the truths in this passage, some of the things that I saw that happened to Elijah, I think we can identify with. You know you've run out of gas when you become driven by fearful thinking. You start to be driven by thoughts of fear rather than of faith. In fact, we had a word that was, just came up here this morning that God was calling us to come back to faith. Not to be, so, in so many words, driven by fear, but to believe God. Here's Elijah. The Bible said in verse 3 that when Jezebel sent out that intimidation and that threat, I'm going to kill you, here's this great man of faith who just the day before prayed down fire from heaven and prayed down rain from heaven. Just the day before, he was operating. He was on, the, he was on top of the wave of faith. But the voice of fear... And intimidation and threat went out over the air. And the Bible said, when he saw it. That's interesting to me. Not when he heard it, when he saw it. It's like his focus was no longer on God. His focus was on fear and what might happen to him. And some of you, some, some of us, I don't mean to talk down. I'm not trying to do that. Some of us are operating in faith. And no sooner are we operating in faith because we've been going and going and going. We didn't realize that we needed to reserve, we needed to build up our reserve on the inside of us. Because faith, listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The increase of faith comes through the truth of God's word. So it can be depleted. Not, not the, the power of the word of God, but if I'm not constantly filling up my reserves, my tank, something can happen. Amen. So like Elijah, sometimes we get gripped by fear. And fear, fearful thinking sounds like this. I'm not going to make it. It's over. 
I don't know. I don't know. Is God going to move? Is God going to do anything? I don't see any proof. I don't see anything. Here, here God has been moving, but what happened was God, God rained down fire from heaven, and then he rained down water from heaven. God, God was answering prayer, right? But Jezebel and Ahab didn't change. And they didn't repent, and they didn't fall on their faces and say God is, Yahweh is God. And it was almost like Elijah got stuck on what didn't happen. Instead of focusing on what did happen. Come on now. You know, listen, one of the indicators, one of the indicators that you know you ran out of gas is that you have now you're gripped with fear thoughts. Here's another thing. Here's another indicator that you know you've run out of gas. You want to isolate yourself from other people. When Elijah ran, he took his servant with him, and they ran south, which is what we all want to do in January around here. So he ran south. He went down to the southern part of Israel, down in Judah, took his servant with him, but then when he got there, he was like, you know what? I can't with you right now. You just stay here. I'm going to go on out into the wilderness by myself. The last thing Elijah should have done was to isolate himself from someone who could be a truth speaker into his life. You know you've ran out of gas when you're like, you know what? I don't need people right now. I don't need the family of God. I don't need close friends. I don't want people there to encourage me, to try to give me a comings up, try to help me, try to speak truth into my life. I just want to do this all alone. That's the worst thing you can do to yourself. You can't do this. You and I were never designed to live life by ourselves. Even Adam, in his perfect estate, God looked at him and said, it is not good for him to be alone. And there was no sin on planet earth at that moment. And even God said, when it was all perfect, even Adam, even a man was perfect. God said, his aloneness is not good. You can't live... When you start pushing people out of your lives, out of your life, I don't need you. I can't do this with you. I, I just, you know, some, you're, you're, you're empty in here. Because you need people. You need people in your life to help you, to give you truth. You think, I don't want, I don't want to be responsible for no one, and I don't want to be accountable to anyone. Well, Good luck with that, because this is the way God set up his kingdom. You're responsible, and hey, you're accountable. Woo, I feel like I'm preaching up here today. Listen, let me, let me give you a good word. This is a good word. This is right out of the Bible, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And then he goes on in that same chapter in verse 12, and he says, A person 
Standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And then he said, check this out. Three are even better. A three-strand cord is not easily broken. See, the, the problem is, is that we think we can do this on our own, and you can't. One of the reasons why we, are, we, we hold small groups and connect groups so, you know, we hold them. We, 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 we're trying our best to get these things to really work well in our church, and we're trying to figure it out. What we're trying to do is, <laughs> I, I got to be careful how I say this, but it's not that we want you to learn more things about the Bible. We want you to learn how to live out the Word of God with one another. I mean, we, we may center our small groups around study through the book of Romans or knitting class or whatever it is. We may, but you know all of that is, you know all that is, is a hook. What's, why? Because all we're trying to do is get people to get in relationship together because you can't do this in your own strength. You can't do this in your own wisdom. Now you can learn truth, and that's wonderful. You can learn how to knit, that's great. Whatever, I don't even think we have a knitting small group, but you know, We've had something like that, I know, in times past. But what's the, what's the point of it? What's the purpose in it? It's to get us into relationship because you can't do it alone. Let, here's another indicator that you've run out of gas. You want to quit life. When Elijah got down there and he ran into the wilderness further, a day's journey, now he's by himself. You see what happens when you get by yourself? Then you want to quit, you want to quit life. I don't need you, but I don't want to live on anymore. Remember what he said when he got down there? It's enough, God. I've had enough. I've had all that I care to stand in my life. You can take my life now if you'd like. I would rather die and go to heaven than to have to live here in this hell. That's what he was thinking. That's what he was praying. He wanted to quit living. Well, I want to tell you something. If Jesus doesn't bring you to heaven himself... He wants you here, and he wants you to live it well. I don't know if you know that feeling, and I'm not proud of this or anything like that, but I, have, I don't know if you've ever prayed or thought or felt feelings like that, but I know those feelings. I would rather just go on than to deal with this. And again, what's going on? I'm, my, my thinking is gripped more by fear than trusting in God. I'm tending not to rely on people in my life. And the more I pull away, the more I isolate myself from others, the more vulnerable I become to these kinds of thoughts and this kind of thinking. I just want to quit. I've had enough. Anybody ever said, enough? Come on. Here's one final way you know uh, that, you, that you've run out of gas, you tend to beat yourself up. You ridicule yourself. You put yourself down. Because remember what he said in verse 4. He said, that's it, Lord, take my life. And then remember these words. It's right there in verse 4. He says, for I am no better than my father's. I wonder who, what, who it was that told him, you need to be better than. You need to be as good at. He started comparing himself with what other people. 
He started looking at others, his fathers, so to speak. And he's like, I'm no better than that, so you might as well just take me out of here. And he was kind of, he was beating himself up for where he was at. And so we do things to let our tank go empty, and then when we've done that, then we turn around and beat ourselves up. And we put ourselves under standards too high to reach in ourselves. And we're empty. We're out of gas. Oh, it figures I'm out of gas. I'm, I'm a loser. That's why I'm out of gas. And we're just berating ourselves and belittling ourselves. That's an indicator that you know you're out of gas. But God doesn't want you to be out of gas. He wants to fill your tank. How I many of you know that's true? Come on, can I get a good amen out there? So listen, I want to I turn this to, I think, an encouraging word. Because those are indicators that you know you run out of gas. Listen, if you run on fumes long enough and you don't take care of it, you will run out of gas. But if you run out of gas or if you're running on fumes, number two, run into the grace of God. Oh man, this is, this is where the story for me gets really good. I love this story. To me, it's, it's like one of the greatest expressions of God's grace. Here is Elijah, this man of God, calling down fire, calling down rain, then running in fear, running further away, isolating himself, wanting to die, asking God to take his life. And you know what God did? God didn't berate him. God didn't get angry at him. God met him right there in his darkness. He met him in his lowest state. He met him right there in his deep depression. And what God did for Elijah in that moment, for you and me, is God's answer to getting our lives back on track. What God, how God walked him through that is the most beautiful picture. It's the most loving parts of God, his grace toward us. What is God's grace? It is God's favor, unmerited kindness to us. It's when God shows up to be for us whatever we need him to be. And, and at any time in our life, it's just God being good to us, even when we're not always on our best. Come on. How many of you thank God for his amazing grace? Come on. Amen. So what God did with him, these are principles. What I, what I want to talk about, how to run into God's grace and so that we can run for the long haul. That's what we're after. We want to endure, right? So here's, and what I'm going to share with you in the next couple of minutes is super duper practical. Much of it is really, really practical. And you're going to be like, man, I could have stayed home and done this, but no. (laughs) But I'm glad you didn't. Number one, to run into grace, number one, rest your body. Rest your body. I love the story. The story goes on in chapter, in verses five through eight. Elijah was on the run. He was depressed. He was despondent. He was deeply, deeply discouraged. He crawled up under a broom tree. And he fell asleep. And he slept. 
And then an angel came and woke him up. And when he woke up, there was fresh bread, and fresh water. Angel food cake was right there. And water from heaven. And he said, eat. And he ate. You know what he did? He went back to sleep. It was a two-nap day. God said, you need two naps today. Because you know what happens is that we can go and go and go physically. And when you get tired physically, you get tired mentally. And when you're tired mentally, then your, your emotions and your mindset, you can't just separate them and they're two separate things. It's all interrelated and interconnected. And when we're living life like that, we get fragmented and pulled apart. God says, I want you to rest your body. If you're going to run with me, if you're going to keep pace with the horses, if you're going to be effective as I am destined you to be in this life, you've got to take time out from the work to rest. Elijah was going, 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 and then he just flew off track. God doesn't want us flying off our tracks. So every once in a while, you got to rest. you got to rest your body. you got to make sure that there is within your living a rhythm of work and rest. Some of us are going work, 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 rest, work, work, rest, work, 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 rest. And there needs to be more of a rhythm there in our life. Take a nap today. Take two. You deserve it. You've been going and going. I love Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, right? What's he do? He makes me lie down. See, some of us need to revert back in, our, in kind of our relationship with God back to our toddler years when mom and dad made me take a nap. Well, I don't want a nap. You're going to take a nap. If for no other reason, for me. If not for you, for me, you're taking a nap. God's up there like, I really need you to take a nap. You're driving me nuts. No. <laughs> you need to rest your body. Rick Warren said this. This is a quote. He said, to avoid burnout, divert daily. Withdraw weekly and abandon annually. Every day of your life, you've got to find that place that relaxes you, where you feel relaxed. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Relax. Relax. When I go home from work, my job is largely sedentary, which is what I hate. Makes me have to work out more. No. Anyway... I sit, you know, I sit here, I work here, but you know what? We're solving problems, we're dealing with issues, we're making plans, we're, you know, why are we doing this? How can we, you know, and by the time I get home, I just got to sit on my couch and I literally zone out. Like, I've got to relax my brain. It's not like I'm physical. I mean, I used to work physical jobs, putting in gas lines. I mean, I knew what it was to work hard to the point where I couldn't keep my eyes open at 7 o'clock at night. 
I know how to work hard. I'm not afraid of that kind of work. But let me tell you something. We pastors work. I just want to put you on notice. I know you think we work one day a week. No. But anyway, I, when I go home mentally and emotionally, I have to relax. I because then after a little while, i got to cook dinner. I mean, what happened to this, but Julie stopped cooking dinner, and now I'm doing it. No. <laughs> Our life has changed, and so I took it up. But anyway, find a way every day to divert. Relax. Weekly, get that Sabbath in. Take that, take that time when that day of the week is different than all the other days of the week. And I'm going to devote myself to just kind of resting. Annually, completely disconnect with life somewhere. Do something. Let's all go to Florida or Mexico or somewhere warm and beachy. Amen. So, refuel. So the second thing we need to do, rest your body and then refuel your soul. What I love about this part is that the angel, an angel came down and cooked him food. God prepared him a meal, as it were. God's ministering agents came and baked bread and brought him water, said, take and eat, slept. Woke him up, take and eat. Because the journey you're about to go on is a long way. And so he needed to get the food in him. He needed sustenance in his soul. Why? Because the race is not done. The journey of life is not over. There's more to do. I know you think you're at the end. I know you think you've blown it. I know you're just too depressed. You just can't think about going on it. No, no. God's saying, I've got more in store, but you got to eat. And he ate twice. Because the journey was long, and it was another 200 miles to where the Lord sent him down to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, which is where God met with Moses. And God sent Elijah to that very place, and we'll get to that in a moment. But what I want to do is I just want to say this, that we need to refuel our soul like we need to rest our body. And I know that you know this, and I know that you hear us say it all the time. But listen, I want to remind you, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So every day, just like you prepare that one meal a day, or that two meals a day, or that three meals, or some of us are grazers, just like you need food for your physical body, you need food for your spirit man. And you might be th saying to me, Tim, you're preaching to the choir. I already know that. I, but I know statistically in a room this size, the majority of the people don't crack the Bible. And that's not said condemningly. I'm saying to you and I, if we're going to be able to run with the horses, we've got to open up God's Word and begin to feed on it. We need that angel's food cake. We need that fresh water from heaven to get on the inside of us and refuel us. I'm so busy. I got so many demands. Listen, you're too busy not to spend time with God. Martin Luther said, I'm so busy today, I've got to pray four hours. That's what he said. I don't know. I mean, 
But he, but he was basically, what I have to accomplish for the things of God, I need more of God, not less. I don't want to live my life fitting God in and then being depleted and then depressed. A safeguard against getting into that despondency, depression, and burnout, and meltdown, where you're just going through the motions, but there's no momentum, is to make sure you're feeding your soul the fuel from heaven. Amen? The third thing, this is all grace. We need to return to the Lord. We need to get back to God for who He really is. When Elijah went down to Mount Horeb, which is Sinai, it was a 200-mile journey. And the Bible said he entered a cave. And it's actually the word there is, it's a definite article. It doesn't say a cave. It says the cave. Many scholars believe that the very cave he went into is what was called the cleft when God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. This is so beautiful. That God met Moses in the cleft, revealed himself to Moses. And it was at that very spot, which I believe is probably true, that God brought Elijah to show himself afresh and anew, bringing him back to God. Bringing him not, it's not that he lost his salvation. It's not that he lost his significance. But you know, how many times, how many, how many of you know that we're going through life, you can really know God, but sometimes God's got to get you back home again. And he's got to really get you into a place where you rediscover him in a fresh way. Because you've lost sight of what's going on. I'm not saying you. I'm just using that in terminology of us. And God has to get us that, to that place where we return to him. It's like Jesus when he wrote to the church at Ephesus. He said, I love you. You're my people. I see your good works. I see everything. But one thing, one thing, one thing. You've lost that intimacy with me, that first love. He didn't castigate them. He didn't cast them out. He wasn't saying, you're going to hell. He was just saying, you know, you can be going through the motions and doing all the God things, and yet God has to bring you back home again. Where you get to know him. Afresh. And so God took Elijah to that place. And I love it. The Lord said to him, Elijah, it's a probing question. And it wasn't because God needed an answer. It's because he wanted Elijah to probe his own spirit. He said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah could have said, well, because you sent me here. But that's not what God was asking. I'm, he's not asking about location. He's asking about what you doing here. Why are you in this place? What's going on with you? And then Elijah's response is, well, I've been so zealous, I've been so busy, I've been so hard at work. And by the way, I'm the only one. Nobody else cares. Nobody else understands. Nobody else understands the pressures I feel and everything that I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing this all alone. And the Lord doesn't even, he doesn't even respond to that. God just looks past a lot of our whining. But here's what the Lord said in verses 11 and 12. I want you to see this. He said to me, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. 
but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. One translation says, a whisper. And then in that whisper, here's what the Lord asked. Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you in this place? And Elijah's answer was the same. I've been doing everything and nobody understands and I've been very zealous. And by the way, I'm the only one. You see what God was doing there was revealing himself to Elijah. Elijah was a man of fire. (laughs) He was a man of earthquake. He was a man of power. When he prayed, powerful things happened. So he needed God to move powerfully. We need a a revival of fire in this world. God, God, we need you to turn this nation on its ear. We need you to move, God. And we we get so strung out, wanting desiring, impassioned about God doing something that sometimes we lose our own understanding of who God really is and how he works. He can move through fire. He can move through earthquakes. But let me tell you something. Some of God's greatest revivals are a whisper. They're a whisper in the individual heart, in the individual soul. Some people aren't moved by fire and earthquakes. Jezebel and Ahab, they weren't moved by the fire that fell from heaven and consumed the altar. They weren't moved by it. It didn't stir them. It didn't change them. But God can change things when he he gets us back to who he really is. And we hear his voice. He wants us to hear him. Not just to hope and pray that he moves in some dramatic way. He wants us to have that intimacy with him, to hear his voice, to hear the voice of God. Pay attention. Listen, if you want to hear the voice of God, you're going to have to put everything else on silence in your life. You've got to silence everything else in your life. What does Psalms 46 verse 10 say? It says these words, Psalms 40, be still. Everybody say, be still. You say that to your children? Have you ever said it? I've said it. God says, our Father says it to you and me, his children. Be still and know I am God. Where are you, God? How come you didn't, how come Jezebel, how come things aren't changing? Shh. Why are you here? Be still. I'm God. I'm God. If I'm God, you're good. Amen. Some of us, we just need to return to that place of intimacy where we are hearing him again instead of looking for the signs of the miraculous and the power. You know, and if it's not there, we get despondent. We just need to get to that place of intimacy with him. One final thing about running into God's grace, and that means when we do, we need to recommit to our assignment. Elijah was a man of God. He was a prophet of God. By God's power, he raised a widow's son. 
a woman who was destitute and in need. God, through that man's ministry, brought a reserve of a blessing into her life. I mean, he just, you know, he, everywhere he went, I mean, he was on assignment. He was doing God's will. He was doing what God called him to do. But now he's in a place where, I don't know, I just want to die. I don't even want to go on with this. I don't even know if I want to finish this out. So God met him there, gave him a nap, fed his soul, revealed himself to him. And then he said to him, now you got to go. Elijah's like, I'm the only one. I've been working so zealous. I can't, there's nobody, nobody else, nobody else, God said, go. Elijah, I'm not done with you. Can I tell you today that the Lord is not done with you? Come on, I say he's not done with you. But you and I have to get back on track by recommitting ourselves to the assignment that God has for our life. And so here's what the Lord did. He sent him back to anoint two kings, one over Syria, one over Israel, and then to anoint his predecessor. Is that how you say that? One follows after. Is it predecessor? No, that preceded. Successor. Well, anyway, the guy coming after, after him. Elisha, he anointed a king to take over Syria, a king to take over Israel, and, an, and a, another guy to take his place, a prophet, Elisha. And so what God was doing was saying, things are changing, things are shifting, and I've made you pivotal to what's going on. Listen to me. We're in strange and unusual times, Right? I'm not here to make a big deal out of it. I'm just saying these are times. There's a shift going on. I think we can sense this in the church today. There are things that are happening. I know a lot of things are still the same. Gas prices and everything. But, but there's a shift going on. And we've gotten discouraged and maybe gotten our eyes off the, the prize, so to speak. But the Lord is working through our brokenness and even our despondency Saying, I'm not done with you, and actually you're going to be really pivotal to the next thing that I'm doing. Just like he went to anoint the king and another man to take his place. And so God is saying, I'm going to flow through you in the times you live. I really believe this. I hope that you believe this. I know we live up here in Butte, Montana, and we feel like because we're not on either coast that we're out of the fray. No, you're in the fray, baby. You're smack in it. It's where, I mean, God, there are things that are happening in our world, in our culture, even here. That God's saying, I've got you set here for a reason. And I want there to be some flow of anointing coming out of your life. And I don't want you to just be there to make a change in the culture that you live in. But I want you to also be a person who influences others to step up and begin to walk the same thing that you've been doing. Amen. Come on, amen. And, and then I, I love this. And the Lord says to him, oh, by the way, Elijah, I've got 7,000 people that have never bowed their knee to Baal. You're not the only one. You think nobody understands you? I've got people, God's got a remnant. Come on, that should give us some excitement. There's a remnant in this room. 
there's a remnant of people that aren't in this room. But we get all sidetracked and derailed because we think it's just all me and all what I'm going through. No, come on, come on. Stop that whining. Amen. I say that to myself too. So, when you're running on empty, run into God's grace. If you run out of gas, run into God's grace. Let's stand together. Amen. I think we have a, a couple of people that are going to pray, a few people that are willing to pray with you. So today, if you would like prayer at the end of our, when I'm done here praying, um, you guys are free to go, or you could come up and receive prayer. And if you're struggling with things like depression, anxiety, you know, just uncertainty about your future and about what God is doing, um, you know, if you would like some prayer about that, I believe God can meet you here today. His grace is sufficient. So let's pray. Father, thank you for meeting with us here today. We, we love your word. We need your word. We desire your word. I pray for us, Lord, that we would just submit and surrender our hearts to you, just like you did with Elijah, Lord, that you would meet us in our lowest places and revive our soul, restore our heart, renew our mind. We need you, Lord. We so desperately need you. And I pray, God, that we would leave this place with a sense of victory, with a sense of triumph, with a sense of grace, God, for the times in which we live. Thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. Position us, get us ready, take us deeper, and set us free, I pray, God, to do your will. In Jesus' name. Amen.